were uh, good-behaved Jews and notorious sinners. They believed that notorious sinners needed to be challenged and taught. But they were offended when they saw that Jesus was willing to sit down with notorious sinners over a meal. He had table fellowship with them, and that wasn't dignified for a Jewish rabbi in their view. Teach them, but don't eat with them, they would have told Jesus. And so Jesus tells three stories to illustrate the work of God in recovering lost sinners. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, in first century Palestine, there were lots of shepherds and lots of sheep in the countryside. And so if you walk through the countryside, you would be constantly seeing shepherds with their flocks. So as Jesus tells this parable, um, it's very familiar to them, very easy to understand what he was getting at. For us, it's a little more difficult. We've got to learn a little bit about sheep and shepherds. Sheep are herd animals, so they normally stay with the herd or the flock. They're groupies. They stay together. But they also have an impulse to wander. And occasionally a sheep would wander off into the wilderness and not follow the flock to the safe condition of the, of the fold. They'd stay up in the mountain meadows, wander off to the craggy cliffs, and not follow the shepherd and the rest of the flock down to the safe fold. Now, the fold uh, was an enclosed area, enclosed by a stone wall or maybe a hedge. So um, when I first came to Oregon, I saw this immense hedge of uh, Himalayan blackberries. I wondered what that was all about because it was very high. And... um, I later learned that what was inside was a marijuana plant. Not a plant, but a a large number of marijuana plants. I learned to identify the smell. And so there was a hedge that enclosed and kept people out uh, that needed to be kept out. So similarly, a fold was a rock wall or perhaps a hedge uh, where the uh, the sheep could be deposited for the night and where they could be safe from lions and wolves. But occasionally a sheep would wander off. The shepherd would count his sheep at the end of the day in the fold, and if he was missing one, he suddenly started to search for that missing sheep. A lost sheep was vulnerable to predators, wolves, and lions, so it was important to find it. Now, a lost sheep has a tendency to lay down. So if it's wandered off from the fold in the mountain meadows and it doesn't see the, uh, the rest of the sheep, the rest of the flock, it'll lie down, be very difficult to see. So it requires a diligent search to find that sheep. Now, when a shepherd would find his lost sheep, you would think that the sheep would be overjoyed and it would follow the shepherd kind of in a beeline fashion all the way back uh, to the rest of the flock enclosed by the fold. But that's not how sheep think. Sheep like to scamper around and wander again. 
So it's not that the shepherd can just walk with his sheep all the way back. That sheep is going to go off in another direction and get lost again. So what the shepherd does is he binds the front feet and the back feet of his sheep and he hoists the animal onto his shoulders and he carries it home. How much does a sheep weigh? About 100 to 200 pounds, depending on whether it's a male or a female. Have you ever carried a 100-pound sack very far? What does it do to you? My grandfather was an immensely strong man, a very short man, shorter than me, but very strong. And I would watch him take a 100-pound sack of grain. He, he had animals that he fed in his barn. Take a 100-pound sack of grain, put it on his shoulder, and he'd walk several hundred feet with 100 pounds on his shoulders. And I remember once, <clears throat> once saying, Grandpa, you're a very strong man. He said, well, I was stronger when I was younger. He said, I was in a contest once uh, with other young men, and uh, the goal was to pick up two 100-pound sacks and walk with them 100 yards. And he said, I won that contest. Now, his grandson was much more feeble than he was. I could barely even lift up 100 pounds, let alone carrying it on my shoulders. So think about a shepherd <coughs> carrying his sheep home through hill and dale, upward slopes and downward slopes, all the way back to the fold. Great effort. But that was the commitment of the shepherd toward his sheep. He would expend enormous effort to bring it home. And when the shepherd finally had his sheep safely in the fold, he'd call his neighbors over to his house, rejoice for me, for I found my sheep that was lost. The point of the parable is the comparison that Jesus makes. Jesus said, just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus is saying, think about the joy of heaven. The angels and the saints who are gathered before the throne of God, when they are aware... <coughs> Of a single sinner who repents, there's a celebration in heaven that should be reflected in the church below. In other words, we too need to rejoice over one sinner who repents as we look at the work of God in bringing home a lost person. I found my lost sheep. I spent all night trudging over hill and dale, and I found it. There was no social media in the first century, so word was sent out, come to my house, and we'll celebrate. Then there's the parable of the lost coin. Now, this story doesn't take place out in the mountains, mountain meadows, and fields. It takes place in a house. It has to do with a woman who has has lost a coin that was part of a collection of 10 coins. Now, some Bible scholars have speculated 
that if she had 10 coins, it was likely an unmarried woman and that was her dowry. Now, have any of you married women, did your family ever present you with a dowry? Do you know, even know what a dowry is? It's an amount of money that was saved up by a family and it was given to the groom on the day of the wedding when he married their daughter. Now, woe to the family that only had a ton of daughters because <laughs> they had a lot of money to save up to get all of their, their daughters married. So here we have a woman who has a, 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 presumably a dowry, 10 silver coins. They're, they're drachmas in the Greek text. Drachma, which was equivalent to a denarius, another term we find in the New Testament. And that represented one day of labor, the wages for a laboring man. If we try to figure that out today, we, we don't get the sense of the, the value of a silver coin, but <clears throat> if we were to say someone working for a minimum wage of $15 an hour, working eight hours, that would be the equivalent of $120 times 10, because there were 10 coins, about $1,200. But things don't match up between the modern world and the ancient world. This was probably $10,000 in value. So she had these 10 coins. And if she were engaged to be married, then her fiancé knew the value of her dowry. And if she lost one of those coins that was a part of the dowry that would be given to him so that he could set up a household then guess what would have been jeopardized? The marriage contract. Because the family would say, hey, we've given 10 coins to our daughter as her dowry. And so on the day of her marriage, we, uh, that will be paid to you. And if she loses one, perhaps they'll say, you know, I was counting on all 10 and now there's only nine. Maybe I ought to overlook this woman who has lost part of her dowry. So it might break the marriage contract. At the very least, this woman is embarrassed and terrified. Embarrassed because she might have to tell her family that she's lost part of the dowry that they've diligently uh, uh, saved for. And so what does she do? She lights a lamp. Now in the ancient world, <clears throat> in the ancient world of Palestine, Houses had very small windows set high in the wall. The windows were like six inches wide, six inches tall. And so there was not a lot, lot of outside light that entered these homes. They were dark. So this woman lights a lamp and begins the process of searching for her lost coin. The floors of those houses were made out of flat stones with a line of dirt between the adjacent stones. So there's lots of dirt and dust on these floors, and she no doubt took a broom and started sweeping from the corners and under the beds and looking for that lost coin. All the time, very concerned about it. And then she finds it. And what does she do? Does she go to social media and say, rejoice with me? 
No, there was no social media. She sent out, it was a communal culture. And so she sent out word among her friends and, and the neighbors and said, come on over the house. You know, we're going to celebrate. I've got some pastries. And we're going to celebrate and rejoice because I found the missing coin for my dowry. Now, both the shepherd and the woman illustrate the work of God in seeking and finding lost sinners and returning them to where they need to be. Returning them home in the case of the sheep, returning the coin to its collection. Now, these are God's elect chosen people. So the process of searching and finding has to do with the work of God in redeeming his chosen people. For the Son of Man, Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But the lost ones who are uh, contemplated here are those whom God has chosen from before the creation of the world. So when we bring the rest of Scripture to bear on what's happening here, we find that other portions of Scripture help to inform us about the nature of God's saving activity. For instance, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So when God finds someone and brings them home, it's because he has already determined to find that sinner. He has chosen him from before the creation of the world. So what we have here is a, a description in these two parables of the electing, the convicting, the regenerating, the justifying work of God, the sanctifying work of God, and the glorifying work of God. So think about the shepherd. He finds his lost sheep, hoists it onto his shoulders, and carries it the whole way home. Now, this is important for us. We have a tendency to think, well, these two parables have to do with other people. Other people who are really lost. You know, and the gospel mission is, is working with them. And, and they, they are really lost and in great despair. But I would urge you that these two parables describe you and me and our condition of lostness and the redeeming work of God in finding us and bringing us all the way home. So he brings us to heaven and eventually to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it has to do with us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 describes what it means to be lost. And the Apostle Paul writes this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now notice the, the inclusive language of the Apostle Paul in that text. He said, among whom we all once lived. That is to say, every Christian has been lost and has been found. Every Christian then had a before Christ experience of being profoundly lost. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 19, the apostle went on to say, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, the foolishness of their minds. They're darkened to their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what the gospel impresses upon us is that we were lost sheep who have been returned to the flock. We were like the lost coin hidden on the dust of the floor that needed to be found and returned to the collection. Now, some of you children might say, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were Christians and I never sensed a time in my life when I was far from God in living like that, living as a lost sinner. I can't remember a time when I didn't trust Christ as my savior. And yet the apostle says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice his emphasis. All of us. Now, had you not been converted by the work of God, you too would be subject to the wrath of God. Yes, every one of you Christian children. So you need to realize that God has done a work in you that you may not have been aware of, and he may have done it very, very early in your life, maybe even in your mother's womb. He brought about his work of grace and imparted to you a heart of faith and repentance. So experientially, you may not have sensed that you were lost at any point in your life, but God has rescued you through the redemption that comes from Christ. Now, what all of this means is that original sin is a topic that we need to think about and think about often. Original sin is the sin of Adam and Eve when they ate the forbidden fruit and the corrupted nature that resulted from the rebellion against God. And we read in the book of Genesis that the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve were corrupt. Yes, there were a few uh, that, that stood out from the others, like uh, Enoch, who walked with God and was no more because God took him, and some others. But by and large, the corruption that took place at the fall of mankind infected all of the descendants of Adam and Eve down to this day. So our trouble with 
indwelling sin with personal sin is attributable to the fall of the human race that took place so many centuries ago. Original sin. Now, our shorter catechism talks about original sin in several questions, <clears throat> summarizing biblical, <clears throat> biblical truth. So, shorter catechism number 17 asks the question, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? And the answer, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Question 18, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? Answer, the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. And question 19 asks, what is the misery of that estate wherein to man fell? The answer, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Put quite simply, Adam's sin had incredible consequences. Consequences that we feel in our very nature. Now, King David, who was a very admirable king on some days, but a very, uh, very sinful man on other days, King David, as you remember, committed murder and adultery. Committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he murdered Bathsheba's wife, Uriah. And he was able to do it without a pang of conscience until the prophet Nathan comes to him, tells him the story about a, a, a sheep that was stolen by a very wealthy man. And, then, and, then, and then, then he points at David and he said, you are the man. You have done this. You've taken another man's wife. And of course, you've killed her husband. And it all came home in a moment, in a flash to David, just how sinful he was, even as a believer. And he writes Psalm 51. You know, Have mercy upon me, O God. Begins with those words. Later in the psalm, he says, In sin my mother conceived me. And that was written for our benefit. And what David was saying is that from the moment of my conception, I had a propensity to sin. That's troubled me all the way till today, and I see it so very clearly. I've had this, this rebellion built into my very nature, and it happened even when I was conceived. From the very moment I came into existence, I had a fallen nature that has led me astray. So David was very conscious of that particular moment and hopefully for the rest of his life of the consequences of original sin derived from Adam. You and I need to tell ourselves from day to day, I was really lost before God did his work in me. And I still have the consequences of sin going on in my life. 
And had God not intervened in my life and searched me and, and searched for me and found me and brought me home, I would be like all the others who, who live in the houses around me, on the streets around me, who are far from God, who are in darkness, who have very foolish thinking. That is what lostness is all about. Now, the wonderful strain in these two parables is the joy. The joy of heaven over sinners who are being found and delivered from their estate of sin and misery and brought home. And so the joy of the church, the joy of this church ought to be, God has found me. He's taken me out of my lost condition and brought me into his family, into his church. I have eternal future uh, secured for me by the work of Jesus who died on the cross, the good shepherd who came to deliver me out of the estate of my sin and misery and bring me into an estate of salvation by the power of his sacrifice on the cross. So these two parables don't merely point us to people who, who come into the life of the church from a, a lost condition and we say, wow, we're so happy that you found our church. But rather that has to do with us. God, I'm so happy that you found me and took me out of that awful state of condemnation and lostness and united me to Christ and to his people and given me an eternal inheritance among the saints in light. So God has done it. He's imparted to you the gift of faith and repentance if you're a Christian. He's begun to heal your relationships. He's begun to restrain your passions and desires and to give you a whole new set of aspirations to be holy and to be perfect as he is perfect. Let me pray for you. Our Father, you've delivered us from our lost condition. You've done so entirely by grace. It didn't have to do with our goodness or even our potential. <clears throat> it had to do entirely with your, your grace and the desire to save sinners like us. So we pray that you would re impart to us much rejoicing, much joy and happiness over your redemptive work and the results that that has for us. May we, O oh Lord, be like the shepherd who rejoices with his friends and the woman who rejoices with her neighbors when that which is lost has been found and recovered. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.